Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. My name is Greg Monteith. And I'm John Polstra. I'm back. Whoa, John's back. <laughs> I just couldn't stay away. I came, I, I came across a really interesting, I was going to say article. It's a book. So it's a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying by bon, Bronny Ware. And I actually did a podcast on my own site about this book. So if you're curious about the book in depth, I kind of go through it over there. We'll link to it in the notes and all that good stuff. But there was a particular section in here that hit me kind of funny that I wanted to read and talk about. So you game for that? Let's go for it. Let's do it. All right. So the whole, the, the punchline or where this is all going is around this a whole idea of, of what we deserve. And I wanted to read, so the, the back, the backstory in this book is, so Bronnie is a hospice. She's not a nurse, but she's a hospice person, whatever you call hospice people. And she spends a lot of time in the earlier parts of her life, being with people that are dying. And she learns a tremendous amount through being with them and caring for them. However, as she transitions out of that, she goes through a fairly deep depression. And this is towards the end of the book where she's kind of working through that. So I'm going to read from page 219 and then we'll get into the, the part that, that uh, caught my awareness. So here we go, quoting from the book. Being reminded again of the need for my own compassion was significant and liberating too. This brilliant social worker also helped me to see the bad habits I'd previously developed in excusing other people's behavior, previously out of wanting to keep the superficial peace and more recently out of compassion. Her wonderfully direct counseling style was definitely needed and honesty worked, particularly when she asked me if I was going for a gold medal in the Carers Olympics. I had too often forgotten to share some of my compassion with myself, both in thought and deed. All of the previous years of growth and letting go had not been wasted, though, even if it sometimes felt this way. Instead, I had reached the true core of my wounds, the crutch of where many of them had originated from, and was able to start releasing them permanently. Acknowledging my pain, the effects of decades of criticism from those whose love I most needed, Ceasing to make excuses for unkind behavior and taking it all out took courage, my own permission, and willingness to step free of those patterns forever. The way to do this was by learning how to be kind to myself and also learning how to receive that kindness. I deserved goodness and happiness completely, even if others did not believe so. They did not know the paths I had walked and it no longer mattered. I now knew I deserved amazing goodness to flow my way. It was in coming to the significant acknowledgement that I did deserve it, which allowed me to start receiving my own kindness. I had believed this already on other levels, but not at the depths I was now beginning to operate from. That was where the refocusing was now underway, towards the levels that truly drove me. It was time to allow my own kindness in. After all, I deserved it too. So as I was reading this section, it just popped out at me and I immediately asked myself the question, well, what do we, what do we deserve or what do I deserve? 
Mm-hmm. And I had a super, super hard time answering this question. So uh. I was, I, there's, I don't know, I guess there's a few other inputs here too, which is kind of the whole American notion of, you know, pursuing happiness and that that's, you know, something that we deserve to be able to do. And so I don't, I was wanting to bounce this around with you in terms of how would you come at this question? How would you answer it? Does, does uh, your philosophy background inform it? I think there's some, you know, deep seated stuff from my past too, that would say, well, what do you, you know, the, the Christian belief is what do we deserve? We deserve hell. We, we deserve nothing. And so, you know, but Jesus came to make that right. And the rest of that, whatever you want to call it. So where do we start with this? What do you think? Well, I mean, I'd love to ask you a few more questions. Dig away. I probably need a coach. I probably need some coaching around this. (laughs) I'll see what I can do. (laughs) I mean, what do you think about the idea of, how would you break down the idea of deserve that she's put here? Like if you had to put other words, if you had to replace that word with another word based on those kind of couple of paragraphs that she wrote, what would you use? What words? Oh, that's a great technique. So in other words, if you're not allowed to use the word deserve, what would we insert yeah, there? Yeah, and you can put in a couple of different words, like if you think there's a slightly different sense, but try to keep it to no more than two. I think the word that jumps out at me the most would be needed. Like this was something she needed uh, to do. Right. Uh. Okay. In other words, she needed. Yeah, this is interesting. So if I reread some of the sections, the way to do this was by learning how to be kind to myself and also learning how to receive that kindness. I, instead of deserved, needed goodness and happiness completely. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I I guess I would insert the Hmm. word needed. How about you? Okay. Well, you know, I think... It's funny because I was thinking, like, what is she talking about with deserve? Because I think there's a couple of different senses. Uh, On the one hand, it it almost sounds like, and this is the strange one, and I've heard this before. It's almost like mandated. I am mandated to have goodness and happiness completely. I am mandated to have it, which allowed me to start receiving my own kindness. After all, I'm mandated to have it versus I'm eligible. That's the main distinction I see. And I wonder if that's more of like if the sense of being eligible. And so I, and I like your sense of needed, too, because that's another different sense, right? Which is like, I, I can't survive without this. This is killing me. So because it's killing me. I need to allow myself, right? I'm eligible. I'm allowed. I'm permitted. Well, needed and needed in the sense of. To move forward. Like this was the next, without, without being able to meet this need, she couldn't get any further. Yeah, but I think there's also the sense of mandated or, or um, destined. Right? I'm destined for it. Um, I'm destined for goodness and happiness. And, and because that's part of that deserved notion too, right? If you, and I know people who've gone that way. They're mandated to have it. They're destined to have it. Um, 
So it doesn't matter how much destruction <laughs> or chaos they have to wreak, they are they deserve this thing and they're gonna go after it. Right. Or or you know, the flip side is if I'm destined for happiness and goodness and kindness and I'm getting, you know, crap in, in this area of my life, then this area of my life has to go. And I would say, well, that's a that's a that's a very um so it's a very sketchy basis for thinking that because, I mean, it's the whole idea of uh, does hum, do human beings, uh, are they mandated to have only good things? You know, is it, and this is a certain sense, in a certain sense, this is about, you know, what degree of control do I have over my life? And I suppose I could try to, uh, you know, excise all of the uh, difficult, unkind, uh, unhappy um, negative parts of my life, but I don't know that that'd be realistic. And I might, might end up cutting off a lot of people and a lot of situations that are in process of development, but haven't reached my level of, uh, my standards. Um, you know, and I guess deserved is this, it brings in this notion of standards, right? And then what do you do with those standards? If it's not meeting your standards, if you just cut it out and get rid of it, um, I think that risks destroying a lot of relationships and then it becomes very self-focused. You know, this is what I'm, this is what I'm destined for. I'm sorry. You're just not part of the plan for me. And, um, that I find to be really, uh, that's a bit scary, you know, because then all of a sudden we are our own judge of, 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 of everything. And I'm not, not as though people don't make judgments all the time. But to think that I could, you know, um, uh, distance myself from what are right now key relationships in my life simply because there's a lack of happiness there or a lack of kindness at times, I think that would be a big mistake. So on the one hand, I think it's interesting to substitute the words. On the other, thing, on the other hand, it feels like you're dodging the question. <laughs> so, okay. Like Tell another, me. well... Is this question of trying to figure out what I deserve, is that question not answerable? Is it, is it a, is it a, not a bad question, but is it a, is it a question that, did, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Is it a question that's not mm. worth answering? Is it a, is it a fallacious question? What's the right words here? I, that's, that's a good one. Is it, is it a fallacious question? Like, is it, uh, sure, is it a bit of a red herring in the sense that it's not even a valid question? Well, I think so. Like, uh, I think there's two steps to do. One is, first of all, what does she mean by deserved? And I think there are two main senses of deserved, right? There's your um, sense of, and maybe there's a there's the background. What's the background to it? And I wonder if you could go as simple as need versus want. Mm, and so, no, I was just thinking about this. So I wonder if she's using the word deserved here in the sense of this is something that I had to allow, that I wasn't, that I hadn't previously allowed myself to have, have, and now I'm allowing myself to have it. I deserve this. Right, right. So, in other words, out of that need, then there's the question of, well, how are we defining this? Is it is it eligibility or being allowed, or is it mandating or being destined? You know, I think those. It seems to me there are a couple of there. There might be another layer in there too, but those seem like the main ones. But then there's a there's a, an absolutely prior question too. So if we deal with like, well, what's the background here that's prompting you? Well, maybe it's need, maybe it's want. Well, what's the definition you're giving? And then there's the whole question of um, 
what about the entire notion of, of deserving itself? Like, let's say it's even, let's say it's need-based. I need this. And let's say she's, she's making herself, she's saying, I'm allowed. I'm allowing myself to do this when she's using that term. Like I am allowed, um, to, I now know, um, I'm allowed to have amazing goodness flow my way. That sounds pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. Like that, that sounds pretty healthy, but, but I guess the other question then is that if we jump up to the highest level is, well, what, what about this notion of being deserved of deserving or allowing, and do we want to come contrast that with, with an idea of, um, say purpose, right? Is it that, so one, on the one hand, there's this possibility and the other hand, there's this notion of purpose, right? It's not possible for this woman to achieve happiness, whereas before it wasn't because she wouldn't allow herself. Let's just say that's what she's meaning as opposed to, um, it's possible because she's saying, I want this and it's my destiny, which sounds really sketchy to me. But what if we look about it, look at it as possibility versus purpose? So in other words, is the notion of deserving something or, or being allowed to have something, even the right way of looking at it, would we want to say that it's the purpose of human beings to do something or not do other things? And so you know, one of the things we, we, I mentioned just, just briefly previously is from Augustine's perspective, I have an essay here that I, I wrote on, on Augustine and he wrote a very small, but very influential and important paper, um, called De Beata Vita, The Happy Life. And, uh, a number of primary, uh, Augustine scholars, particularly some French, uh, scholars, uh, would say that this is the focal point of Augustine's philosophy, that happiness is the purpose of life. So for Augustine, the purpose of living is to obtain, quote, the happy life, quote, the supreme good of humanity. And for Augustine, God is the source of the happy life and God is reached through attaining truth and wisdom. So, I mean, Augustine makes this connection very clearly with God, but, but he would say that happiness is, is ultimately important, not so much as something that I deserve but it's something that is my purpose in being. So if I deserve it, it's going to come my way, right? And I'll move aside those things that don't bring me to it. If it's my purpose, I think I'm oriented to it in a rather different way. All of a sudden, I'm a little bit more attentive. I've got a much bigger role to play. I've got some skills to develop and some awarenesses to refine. Well, when I think of the word deserve, I think, <laughs> I think a little kid of like with their fist closed and kind of pounding the tray saying, you know, I deserve more food. Right. Well, and there's a sense there of, I guess. It's like it's a level of, I don't know. Well, little kids aren't arrogant, but there's a sense of like, this is absolutely owed to me. Right. And and so when I tried to answer that for myself, I'm like, okay, so if I use the word O, what is absolutely, what do I absolutely deserve? What is owed to me? And I couldn't come up with very much except, well, I, you know, I don't deserve to be treated violently, either physically or emotionally. Like there are certain like very obvious extreme limits, but in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. do I deserve to have a million dollars? I don't mm-hmm. think so. Do I deserve to be loved by everyone around me? 
No, I mean, I, you can't make anyone do anything. So why do I deserve? Like, that's where I go with that. Maybe I'm mm -hmm. taking this in a different direction, but. Well, no, that, that's kind of interesting when you've got the, the sort of, like you say, the five-year-old um, fist on the table thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just writing some stuff down here and, and it's, it's almost like this, there's a demand associated with it. Right? Yes, a, yes, demand, yeah. Whereas I think where I would be going is more the notion of requirement or necessity. So in other words, to be what we're meant to be. And, and so, you know, the tricky part about what I'm, where I'm going is it, is it's, it's a bit of an essentialist argument. Somebody might say you could take the a bit out. <laughs> it's an essentialist argument and essentialist arguments, essentialist arguments are difficult to substantiate. And what they simply mean is I'm saying there's an essence to what a human being is. And that essence, uh, and, and I'm also claiming to have some insight into what that essence is, obviously, in order to make the claim. And, and uh, I'm therefore saying that uh, as a result of what I know about that essence, this is the way that human beings function better. Um, this is the way that human life uh, will be um, more fruitful. And you know, I, I recognize on a philosophical level that these are, that an essentialist claim is difficult to substantiate and that off, it often, its substantiation often comes down to really, does it resonate with someone? And I think a little bit more than that too, because it comes down to, well, how do you see yourself living your life? If, if you're living your life in such a way, or let's say, if when you do you live your life in such this sort of fashion, if it comes about that things go better, then maybe this argument has some weight and you want to consider it, right? I think when we are um, working on the demand side, you know, you demand this. Um, on the one hand, we get ourselves away from the essentialist perspective. So the essentialist perspective says, I know some things generally about human beings, even though I'm only one guy here, I'm only Greg, but I'm going to make some claims about everybody. And on the one hand, I'm doing that from a biblical perspective and saying, okay, so the biblical text would say that human beings are like this. In other words, there's a, what we might say, a biblical anthropology, a biblical picture of what it is to be human. And that applies to every human. But there's also some, you know, scientific, whether they're psychological, whether they're biological um, kind of uh, indicators that would also kind of point in that direction. But none of them paint a picture that's quite as strong as the one I'm painting. Right? I'm bringing all these things together and saying, this is how I see it. And then this is the gamble I'm making. On the demand side, the five-year-old banging their fist on the table, um, you, you're just doing it on your own. Right? You don't need anybody to back you up. You're not saying, I'm looking for evidence that says I, I should get this love and kindness. You're saying, no, actually, I'm just looking inside of me. I see the need is there. I see the desire is there. And you know what? I've seen the problems. Well, once you start saying I've seen the problems from what happens when I don't get it, you're, you, you can begin going down both roads, right? You can, you see what, is, is the essentialist piece that I'm trying to explain making sense? How much sense does it make maybe? So far, I'm afraid I'm going to lose you really soon though. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I'd say that the five-year-old demand thing is easier to do. And if somebody says to you, why do you do it? You say, because I want to. Because that's the way I'm choosing to live my life. And if you're choosing to live your life another way, good enough. But you know what? This is where our path divides. Because that's not the way I'm living my life. 
And there's very little argument with that. Right. And, and, and it can be extremely compelling. In other, it's, it's like a car that doesn't require much gas to travel. There's a good reason to buy it. You don't have to buy a lot of fuel and your car will travel. But the cost of traveling in that car and maybe the, the sanity of traveling in that car is something that for me personally, I can't live with. It costs too much. I'm going to have to get rid of relationships that I'm not ready to get rid of simply because I may be at a more advanced place in certain regards in my life than other people are. Or I have to um, basically communicate to them that I'm sorry, you know, I'm putting you on hold. Maybe I'm not getting rid of you. I'm putting you on hold. I'll let you have your time to develop. I may put have, it might even have some input into your life. But, you know, I deserve love and happiness. And if you're not willing to give it to me, then you know what? I'm happy to check out at any point that that's not happening. Oh, well, maybe this person <clears throat> needs, in order to develop in their lives, needs me to be able to tolerate their lack of love and happiness to a certain degree. So, you know, this woman talking about all the pain, um, she that sentence you read, acknowledging my pain, the effects of decades of criticism from those whose love I most needed, ceasing to make excuses for unkind behavior and talking it all out to courage, my own permission and my willingness to step free of those patterns for, forever. So, I mean, obviously she'd been living her life as though she was never, you know, um, sounds like she's the type of person who would just take whatever, like you said, like the things you maybe don't deserve are no abuse. You know, maybe it sounds like maybe she, she wasn't willing, even willing to say that. And she got a lot of abuse. And I don't think that people should be, um, like, it's very difficult to keep taking something like that and not have that inform your, your self-understanding. But to say that you never take it, you know, or as soon as it starts happening or whatever line it is you draw in that regard, that just seems incredibly austere and isolating. And it makes you into some sort of a, I, I don't know. I, I just wonder, like, how do we even know when it comes to things like self-deceit? How do I know that the way I'm, what I'm saying kindness is and what I'm, what I'm, how I'm defining and living out happiness and, and, and goodness doesn't have tinges and maybe more than tinges of um, really negative behavior and selfishness. So I think the thing about the five-year-old is valid. I think it's valid to be the five-year-old, but but I don't think that it's a good way to go. I think ultimately you lose. Mm. So I don't know what happens to you when you stop thinking about the notion of the five-year-old banging the fist on the table and you start seeing the five-year-old as somebody who doesn't have enough food doesn't have clothes that are suitable for colder weather and doesn't have a sufficiently warm place to live. And you think about the five-year-old being in a process of getting older, getting wiser, beginning to recognize the needs that they have and beginning to move towards meeting those needs what's well there's two questions there i can answer the first one <laughs> this is right. interesting so with the first picture you painted my visceral my immediate gut react immediate gut reaction was like 
well, of course they, yeah, they need shelter and food and do they deserve it? Uh, but no, we should, somehow we should help them. And then the more, the longer that question sat there, the more I was, and then as you were talking, my mind kind of drifted as you kind of started the second part. Then I was like, yeah, but what if uh, they had a bunch of money and they completely wasted it? And uh, I don't know that that goes to any, to a very useful place. So that's my first reaction, I guess, to the first question. What was the second one? Well, I like that thing about the money and wasting it though, because you're saying, what if, like, let's imagine they had some resources. Let's say they didn't have, didn't have the best food. Let's say they didn't have the best clothing. They didn't have the best shelter, but they had some resources, spent them all on toys and junk food. How do you feel about the person now? Well, it makes, for me, it makes it harder to want, in terms of whether they deserve it or not. Ah. <laughs> on the one level, I'm like, well, you know, they had it and they wasted it. So why should I keep enabling this wasting? But if mm -hmm. you go back to kind of where you were at one point in terms of them being a human being, I mean, I have a strong value around human beings and life and um so in other words inherent in them being a human being mm. they should have food okay so is this the sense of when you talk about deserving you're talking about recognizing an intrinsic value that person every person any person has yeah okay and i think that's the that's the cool part i think that notion that we have intrinsic value is is vast, like incredibly important, and yet there needs to be a balance there. Right? Yes, like, I mean, if we were to make up a fictitious situation, so there's this fictitious person that you've <laughs> created here, and I've given them food five times, mm -hmm. and it's all been wasted or not eaten or whatever. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think at a certain point, I'd have to come to a place of saying, okay, uh, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is insanity. So, mm -hmm. you know, Einstein. Um, so, right. so like, okay, this isn't working. So it would be foolish to continue to do this. Right. Now, what happens when you put that perspective, when you apply that perspective to your own children, to your own child? You can imagine, you know, putting the food on the plate and then the food does not go where it's supposed to go. What happens when you see things from that perspective? That feels so easy. It's like, well, um, you know, we put food on your tray three times and you threw it against the wall. Uh, depending on how old you are, uh, that's what we're having for dinner. You can okay. choose to eat it. You can choose not to. And you can choose right. to go to bed hungry. Okay. And that's going to be painful for all of us. But as your parent <laughs> and helping you to grow up, I'm going to have some boundaries here and say, you know, you get a few choices and or chances or both, and then mm -hmm. that's it. Okay. So, so what about the back to that five times with the with the the little kid that you were helping out who wasn't your kid? Okay, some, <laughs> someone else's kid. <laughs> someone else's or some some whatever. Let's say they're kind of childlike or whatever. There's. Maybe they've they've got resources they can do stuff with it. Maybe it's not a child, but someone who's childlike in some ways. What's the difference there? Because I mean, once you get to five times in a row, it sounded like you were frustrated with that other 
childlike person that you were like, Hey man, maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe I need to back away. But with your own child, let's say they throw the food against the wall three times and you're like, "Eh, Nope, done. What do you do the next day? And what do you do the day after that? We'll see that I would see. Do you keep feeding them? Well, it's all contextual. It's like, are they on the verge of some like health problem? Are they totally emaciated and if they're not getting the food that they needed and they're now going to get sick or get really, really ill or whatever, they can't function? Well, then we, like, in other words, it all depends. Are you talking, it depends in both cases or are you talking it depends in which which of the two cases? I thought we were talking about the five-year-old. Okay, but I'm talking about your your child too. In other words, here's what I'm getting at. I think there's a difference as soon as you contextualize that person in a particular kind of pre-existing relationship. Mm, so relationship so the, is the is the hinge. I think so. Whether you have a relationship so. with them and if so, what that relationship is. Yes, and what the drivers, what the relational drivers are. So if you've got the five-year-old versus your child, uh, five-year-old, let's say, like person, right? There's a childish sort of adult. There's your own child. And, you know, you might feed each one of them five times in a given day and it doesn't go very well. Like there's no, the five-year-old like person doesn't pick up and say, oh yeah, I get this. Okay. Yeah. I should be buying better food. Okay. Yeah. John's giving me some help here. He's giving me a leg up. I'm going to take the leg up and I'm going to, I'm going to try to get better. Versus your own child where, okay, yeah, this was a crappy day and yesterday was a crappy day and maybe tomorrow's not looking much better, right? And so I guess what I'm saying is when love is the guiding orientation, I think that allows us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. And your comment about insanity is, I think, incredibly insightful. Because I think the gap between love and insanity can often be very small. Oh. Because I will keep doing things for my child, despite the fact that my child, I have teenagers now, and I see them making some mistakes, you know, when it comes to how they try to set themselves up, let's say, for success with their studies at school. And I see the same mistakes happening and I offer help and my spouse offers help and I offer help and my spouse offers help and we keep offering help. And it's sort of like, you know, I'm thinking, come on, like <laughs> we've got to change some of these patterns here. You see what's happening. You're, you're spending so many hours. You're staying up so late. You're getting so tired. You get up in the morning. You're, you, we've got to shift some of this stuff. Right. And, and not just because I say so, but because it's like the five-year-old person, they want to eat. But they're not helping themselves eat better. They want to stay warm, but they're not helping themselves stay warm. Well, and you better. can see where it's leading too. You can see that which way? Well, with with your home example, you can see that this cycle that they're in is not leading them upwards to success. It's just it's kind mm-hmm. of creating this cycle that's that's spiraling downward. You're right. staying up or later just... and later and getting later and later and more and more tired, not getting enough sleep and the getting less and less, like, it's just, yeah. Eventually something's going to break. Right. Or it's just in stasis, right? It's not getting any better at all. And we're putting tons of effort in. 
you know, it seems like it's just about the same as when we didn't put effort in. So why the heck are we bothering? But I think this love versus insanity thing, you keep doing the same thing and you're expecting different results. And I would say in many regards, that's a key warning sign to withdraw. But I think in certain senses, when we're dealing, you know, for example, with our children and we're dealing with people out of love, we do do that. We keep putting in effort. And maybe the difference is, on the one hand, we still do expect, but we also hope. We begin hoping for that person that they take on something different. And I guess I wonder in this discussion about what we deserve, if our role, like the role of the other party towards us is, is I think, critical. You know, and I, and I guess I wonder when you've got this notion of deserve as I'm destined for this, I'm mandated for this. I don't know if you're loving yourself. You're certainly wanting better things for yourself, but it sounds like a degree of selfishness and, and unwillingness to look at the realities, the hard realities of the world. And that there are other people out there that might need something from you that are going to require you to sacrifice in ways that don't meet your standards of happiness and goodness and kindness. So if that's not loving yourself, what would you suggest loving yourself is? Well, I think this notion we talked just before, when you talked about like the recognition of intrinsic value, you know, I think that's massive, but I think it gets distorted. Because if you've been taught all your life, like for someone like this person, the effects of, I'm just citing again from the top, bottom of page 219, the effects of decades of criticism from those whose love I most needed. Wow. Like seriously, that's, how did you handle that? Why did you, why, why did you go for decades like that? You know, why, why not say, Hey, listen, I, I, I love you and I, I, I want a relationship with you. But I, I when this type of stuff starts happening, um, I, I, this, this is the end of the, the conversation. I'll talk to you again. Right. Which is very different from saying, I'm sorry, you don't meet my standards for love and kindness. I'm cutting you off. You're good. You're done. Right. I'm moving on because you're just not a source of love and kindness for me. Therefore, you've got nothing to give me. Or, you know, this woman's example was she took it for decades. Well, both of those two extremes seem to me to be out of whack versus um, recognizing my own intrinsic value and having a strong and also an easy sense of it. I think that's the I think that's the the trick because I think the mandated destined side has a very strong notion. But there's no ease. There's no relax. There's no kind of just settling into it, which I think would allow us to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm my my purpose in life." is to be happy. My purpose in life is to be in fulfilling love relationships. How can I make these happen? And I think that question, how can I make these happen, is never asked in the other perspective. You know, you're, you're looking for stuff, but you're not looking to make stuff happen. As far as I can see from some of the people I know who hold that view, what are you thinking? I'm not sure where to, I think I'm a little lost. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I think I lost I, you in like the last 30 seconds. I wasn't. Okay. So if I think it's my, my purpose in life 
to seek happiness. I guess one of them is very active. Like that's a very active perspective. It's my job. If I'm not happy in my life, it could be down to a number of things. But the first place I want to look is myself. How am I orienting myself to this? Do I see this as an obligation, as a, as a need, right? Not just as a need for us, as a, a commodity I require, but as a, as, a, as a task that I am to perform. And I would say it's both. It's both a commodity that I require and a task to perform. I'm just writing this down so I can keep going with it. Um, versus, I think that um, the other perspective, when you deserve it, like the five-year-old, it's a commodity. Give it to me. Give me. Well, what are you going to do for it? Well, I don't have to do anything. Just give it to me. I think that there's a lot more, there's a much higher sense of it being a commodity that I'm just due. Like, this is, this is what I'm due. Give it to me because you owe me. Whereas the other one is earned. Yeah, that's very subtle. And I like that. Yeah. And I think owed. I think, yeah, O might be another substituted word here. Right. Right. And if you're owed this, how did, where, where'd the debt come from? So one is kind of like a debt model. And the other is kind of like an asset model. Right. I'm accruing this, this stuff. I'm allowed to accrue this stuff. Right. This is part of what it is. This is my job in life. My job is to accrue this stuff, but it doesn't mean that I'm owed it from the back, like from the get go. And I think that's the basic orientation. One sees everybody else there as their creditors. The other one sees as the, as potential um, business partners, as potential uh, trading partners. Well, and maybe there's a third way, and I think it fits in the context of this article, which is, I owe myself. Right. I owe myself kindness. And that seems to me to be somebody, when you get into the I owe myself, that seems to be someone who is having a very hard time. Yes, because there's been a deficit, which in her case, there was a deficit. So... She owes herself back for all these years that she didn't let in this kindness and other things. Yeah, and I don't think she does. I don't think you do. Like, I think if you screwed it up for, for 10 years, you don't say, oh, well, you know, for 10 years, I, I, I gave too much. So for the next 10 years, people are going to give to me to give back. <laughs> well, excuse me, where all the creditors come from? You. Where, where are all these Your behavior. That, that, yeah, okay. Or the debtors to you. Where are these people that owe you this money? Right? I think, no, you're not having a hard time. You had a hard time in the past versus you're having a hard time in the, in the present really kind of easing into this idea that you have intrinsic value. You're really forcing it. So you can't really, you're, you're kind of, you you believe it in a certain sense, but you're not accepting it in the, in the kind of daily lived intrinsic sense. It almost seems like someone who's trying to force themselves to believe that they have value by saying that they're owed and, um, that they are, that they can, that they're due this sort of, um, I don't know, this kind of commodity or this kind of 
result from relationships with other people. I think this is really interesting because it does seem like the, um, on the required commodity side, the something that you're owed, it, it's when you're, it's a totally different mindset. You know, you can try to be patient as long as you like, but damn it, you owe me the money. When are you going to get it to me? Let's arrange a payment plan here, right? So you're willing to work with somebody as long as they're willing to recognize that the debt exists and that they have to somehow make good. But once they, oh man, it's such a beautiful, it works out so well, right? Because as soon as that you figure out that they are not going to pay you and that you can't get the money out of them, that it's like, it's like, you know, water from a stone, you write them off. Mm -hmm. You know, the business term is you write them off, but literally I think that's what happens in life. You write them off. Yeah, because otherwise it turns into the whole insanity thing. Right. Right. But on the other side, when it's also a task to perform, when it's when you're trying to balance these things out, you know, I think that, do I think people are due love and respect? Yes. Right. Somebody doesn't have to, so doesn't, somebody doesn't have to do something to me to get me to, to respond respectfully to them. They, they are due that. But there's but also But they don't deserve thing, it. Not in the sense, I think, of, of, of their very intrinsic nature always being the only thing that motivates others in relationship. No, I don't think so. Okay. And I don't think, you know, and you can't run with your intrinsic nature and say, I'm intrinsically valuable and therefore that's enough to make all the relationships around me turn right. And if they don't turn right, if they don't function the way I think they should, and I don't get the, the goods back, the commodities back, then there's something wrong with you. Well, there may be something wrong with the other person, but... No ownership, responsibility. Value, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think those, those, those two things together, like on the, the, the commodity view and the sort of the task view, there's a sense of ownership there, right? And I have to own the fact too that even though I'm intrinsically valuable, I can be an asshole. And that doesn't change. I'm, I'm still, I, I have butthead potential, no matter how, how truly I recognize my own value. Come back to me, what are you thinking? I'm not sure where to go next. I guess, if you want me... I shouldn't, I shouldn't ever say that. I always do. I always like, if you want me to be honest, <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. We're done with that. <laughs> yeah. I'm done with that, Greg. It's not a value. Of, I mean, I, I don't value honesty of, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is one of these massive, but, uh, cloaked, you know, sort of hiding in plain sight arguments for the validity of a Christian perspective because it intrinsically contains both. We are both beings of intrinsic and enormous value. And it is our task to seek to be happy, to uh, pursue happiness through pursuing truth and love. And I don't think you get that message elsewhere. And I think this is one of those... Um, yeah, areas where we can test drive 
in our lives and say, okay, so happiness is important to you. How do you go about getting it? What's the process look like? And what's the fallout? What's the upshot? And I would suggest that if people were to pursue happiness through pursuing truth and love, through, you know, in the context of some of the understandings within a Christian uh, context or framework, um, particularly where you have this notion of being loved by God. And then all of a sudden, you're not the five-year-old who's always screwing up. You're the child who's learning, right? You're not the moron who, or, or the, you know, jerk, who, who either the person who can't learn or doesn't seem to learn or the person who seems not to care. You are somebody who, you know, from God's perspective, is developing, is learning, you know, and true enough, you, in situations where people have no relationship with God and no, no interest in that, they, they may say that this makes no sense, but, uh, and I respect that, but if we imagine for a moment, if we imagine that we're in a Christian context, that there is some sense to the notion of God being there, that there is some sense, some meaning, some significance to the notion of God loving us, then in that context, even if it's imaginary, we could just hold it for a moment, I think what we see is we see so much more possibility for achieving a happiness that's enduring and that makes sense. And that allows us not only to say, I'm valuable, but for us to say, I have taken part in my own flourishing. And in so doing, I've put up with stuff with other people in order to allow them to promote their own flourishing too. And I, I think it's, it's, it's a massive win-win. And whenever and wherever we see these things, we have to latch onto them and say, hold on. Functionally, practically in a day-to-day sense, if this is working, right? And I recognize for, for many people who might listen, this would be an imaginary scenario. But any scenario that does work in a practical sense and that offers a massive win-win in some very significant ways is a scenario that needs to be taken seriously. You know, and I, it's, a, it's an enormous task, I think, for Christians to, um, to demonstrate this. I'm not suggesting that non-Christians are going to say, oh, well, this is a great reason to try on Christianity, like you're going into, I don't know, uh, a department store and trying on a pair of pants. No, but it is a great reason to think about it, to consider it. And then when you have opportunities to see people who are Christians and who, you know, you can talk to about how they, how they view uh, their self-worth and how they view this idea of, uh, of happiness and being treated kindly and uh, their, self, yeah, their self-worth generally, you can assess the validity of Christianity on the basis of some of the outcomes that some of these Christians have. So that's Which my is a big, finish with that. Go, go, go. No, I was gonna say, so that's, I think that's a good place to close. And that would be my challenge to you would be one of your solo episodes on why Christianity does this best. Right. In other words, in other words, I don't think I followed you there as to why, or maybe you didn't explain it, but yeah. Why is, why does Christianity have the best approach? Right. And, and some of that is going to have to be, you know, I, I, well, I, I think one of the things I was trying to say is I, I would say that it puts you in a position like the child in your scenario, the five-year-old like adult or the, the child. And you can say, Hey, both these kids are, both these people are acting like acting foolishly, but I love my child. 
and I'm going to act for my child's best, and I'm going to do things that border on insanity. Because actually, no, that's that's love, right? And then, um, yeah, yeah, I'd love to be able to uh, to do a podcast on this, a solo one. It's a great idea. I, I think that the the tough part, though, at the end is Christians need to be people who are oriented towards this dual nature of seeing that they are due and owed good things and that they earn those good things through how they live and they help other people to get what they're due by earning that in tough situations. But I think, well, this this opens a can of worms at the end, but then I think others would say, we don't earn anything. We just wait and God gives it to us. That's crap. I see so many people. <laughs> That's pretty clear. <laughs> That's crap. That's crap. That's people who are detached. You know, this, this comes back to our whole, so many conversations about, uh, man, I, I remember asking a question at the very first class last year of the, the adult group that I was leading. And I, there was a young woman there, admittedly very young, maybe 21. And I saw her. I saw her face. I don't have access to her brain, but if I had to bet, I would bet a lot of money. I would bet everything on the fact that she wasn't looking for her answer. She was looking for the right answer. And the answer she came up with was God. Didn't really matter what the question was. The fact is, I think so many Christians are constantly looking to try to come up with some answer that makes God A, central, and B, bigger, better, stronger, etc., and to efface ourselves. When the whole thing, the whole notion of trust in Christianity, which is so massive, centers around the concept of partnership. I trust that you will do this. I trust, uh, and you can trust, and I trust that I will do that. Right? We have not the same roles to play, but we have some very important and offsetting roles to play, Christians and God, in this kind of relationship that is the Christian faith. And to say that, you know, we don't do anything is absolutely ludicrous. It's it's almost saying like you're going to close your eyes or stick your head in the ground and not notice all the actions that you take. Well, and or it amounts to what my friend Rob likes to say. Um, when I do good things, it's God. When I screw up, it's me. And that's bogus. That's utterly bogus. Yeah, I think I was zeroing in on the whole notion of earning and, you know, people say, oh, we don't earn our salvation. And Yeah, but that's, that's, that's this, this, this is massive <laughs> legal sense. <laughs> We're back into this whole thing about, about the, the legal notion. Nobody's trying to earn salvation. What you're trying to do is you're trying to act in accordance with the way you say you want to live your life. No one's going to do it for you. You either get off, off the couch and do it or it ain't going to get done. There are no examples in scripture of, lo, I prayed and God did this good thing for me. Like even when you see Philip, I think in Acts 8, and the Holy Spirit comes to Philip, he takes Philip and he puts him there with the eunuch, right? And the eunuch is reading the Isaiah scroll. The Holy Spirit didn't make Philip ask the eunuch the questions and baptize the eunuch. That was Philip. The Holy Spirit facilitated something massive but did not do the job. 
There is no case I have ever seen. Oh, I love it. I love it. God I love it. doing the job for us. That is crap. No, and I love it because <laughs> that's one of the really like recent themes in a lot of my coaching work, which is what's that? What's the notion of being and doing? Of mm. of having epiphanies, having mm-hmm. really deep insights, and then taking mm. action. And what's really huh. fascinating, and I fall into this too, is each of us are tilted, often tilted in one direction or the other. Right. But you don't get the magic and the power and the breakthrough and the progress unless you do both, unless you embrace both. In other words, some people, it's very natural to them to just do. Oh, something yeah. needs to be done. I'll just do it. Why am I doing it? I'm not quite sure, but it's like take action. Like their, right. their default is taking action. And there's other people like me, that would rather think about it, have really insightful, interesting thoughts, but doing something, mm, that might hurt. And right. so it's this, but it's the it's the power of the two. Oh, I had this insight. And so often my challenge to people is, okay, so you had this insight. The outcome sounds totally scary that you want, but my mm-hmm. challenge back is always, okay, and I loved, I loved how you said a little, go, little bit ago, you talked about ease, and you said it in such a way that was just really powerful. Same thing with this. Nice. Like, what is the easiest next step you can take? So you've had mm-hmm. this powerful mm-hmm. insight, this powerful epiphany. You know you need to do something instead of trying to think of like, well, how am I going to get from point A to point Z? Just get mm-hmm. from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you're getting me fired yep. up. Nice. Nice. Well, that that's just, I mean, your coaching thing, that makes me think of, the whole like theory versus practice. Yes. Yeah. You can have the greatest ideas in the world, but unless you do something with them, they're just ideas. It's the same. We say that in coaching too. It's like, well, we can have these really profound discussions, but if there's no action and no forward movement, it was just an interesting conversation. Right. Yeah. Wow. And I I don't know, maybe, maybe, and maybe that's the way of, of, you know, you and I have been having interesting conversations and now we're trying to do something with it. Yeah. Well, I think you've tapped into something here. Like, I don't know my, my sense from reading this and from us going over this is that this woman's more in the camp of I'm eligible. I'm allowed. I, I, I'm a person who's worth something. And so I'm allowed to be happy, but I think you've really tapped into something incredibly powerful that I've come across, particularly on the West Coast, and this idea of almost, you know, I'm destined for happiness. Uh, happiness is a is a standard that has to be met in any relationship that I have in order for that to be a valid relationship. And I think that's an incredibly dangerous viewpoint mm. and destructive. Mm-hmm you know, counterintuitive. You'd think it'd be really helpful, but I think it's actually destructive. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com.
Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.